Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we're joined by Pastor Ben Campmeyer, who is pastoring the launch of the most recent campus of the Harbor Churches we're calling City Harbor. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Ben. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. As uh, Rob said, my name is Ben. I am the planter for our City Harbor campus. We're focused on the city center of Grand Rapids. And uh, it's always a joy to be able to be with some of the rest of our Harbor Church's family. The same thing that we share in common, that we're helping people find their way back to God. And so when uh, your pastor, Pastor Tim, asked me to preach for this morning, he pretty much gave me a blank check. He said, uh, preach whatever you want, (laughs) which is, that's dangerous. So uh, I'll tell you what, uh, when you do that, here's what you get. You get something that is one part hobby horse and uh, one part spiritual burden, and I hope all of it, I hope all of it is something that comes straight from the heart of Jesus and empowered by his Holy Spirit. So if you'd grab a Bible, uh, I just want you to put a bookmark or open your device up toward Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read that in a minute in verse 19. Uh, You may have noticed the screen behind me said Matthew. We're going to take a brief deviation from Matthew for this morning. But my hope is everything that we talk about will serve as kind of background to the foreground of the story of the life of Jesus. So I, I trust that it will be incredibly helpful to you. So Ephesians 2, verse 19, just put a bookmark there. We'll come to that in just a second. You know, a couple of years ago, I wanted to really make an intentional choice essentially to not be a hypocrite. I've been a pastor for 10 years. I was living in Northwest Indiana at the time. And just like I'm going to do this morning, I spent a ton of time standing on a stage and inviting people to get to know their neighbors and to love their neighbors and to meet their neighbors and to go on a mission for Jesus. And I always was trying to, and still to this day, I'm trying to figure out what, what is the balance of calling people to do that and then also being a practitioner of the things that you preach yourself. And so I started a a really simple habit. This is actually something you can do in application of today's sermon, if you want. I'll just give it to you on the front end. I I made this strategic decision that anytime I was going to go out and meet somebody or I was going to work off-site, this was back before working from home was actually cool and everybody did it. Uh, Anytime I would do that, I chose one place that I would always be at. And this was by design, so that I would be able to start to build relationships in my community and see some of the same people over and maybe even have meaningful conversations and get to know them. It's the only way that I could figure out, like, how do I bust out of this church bubble that it seems so easy to be stuck in, especially as a pastor? Maybe you can relate to that just as somebody who's sort of in the the West Michigan world and reality that we're in. And so, uh, luckily enough for us, we were living in Indiana at the time, down the street, a new place opened, and it was coffee shop by day, brewery by night, uh, two things I'm not ashamed to admit that I love deeply, and they had free snacks because they were trying to drive clientele. You could live at this place. 
So it was, it was perfect. I loved everything about it. I got to know the staff like I was talking about. Uh, I, I got to know some of the regulars. I became a, a regular myself. I tried to be there as often as I could. We had a philosophy pub group that I would gather. And so once a month, I would bring uh, men and women together who would argue about existential things and uh, drink beer while doing it. So the proprietors, they loved this thing. And uh, we, we just got to bless them. I loved everything about this thing with one exception. Okay, so if I had a singular critique to put on their comment card, it would be two words, giant Jenga. (laughs) So I don't know if you've ever played Jenga before. It's this small little tabletop game. You put these little wood blocks on top of each other, and you move or push one block at a time or pull one block at a time. And like the, the way the rules of Jenga works, there's no winners, there's just a loser, because if you are the person that inevitably knocks the whole structure over after pulling things out after a while, you lose. That's it. That's the end of the game, and everybody cheers, right? That's Jenga. So this place, this pub had a giant Jenga. Now, I'm over six feet tall. It was eye level with me, and all the interior designers, this is about 10 years ago at this time, I think decided that all the coffee shop and pub places were meant to have kind of this this like industrial aesthetic. I'll tell you what it was. It was an unfinished basement. It painted concrete, hard surfaces everywhere. So as you can imagine, I mean, we've got like acoustic treatment in here. If we were all in here and everybody starts talking, it gets loud. Every time I saw that Jenga tower, it gave me anxiety because I knew when someone did inevitably play the game and knock it over, it was going to make a crash so loud it was going to startle everybody. And so oddly enough, I think there was like this social contract that all the patrons of this place and I had together because nobody touched it for the longest time. It just sat there beside the bar, this six-foot-tall giant Jenga, just inviting anybody to come and play it. And no one played it until one night. I was there meeting with a friend and All I can remember is it was an important conversation. But more than that, my back to the giant Jenga, I remember my anxiety rising as I heard those little wood blocks sort of clicking together. I'm thinking, when's it going to happen? It's that feeling like some of you love roller coasters. I'll go on one because they're fun. But listen, that feeling of like, I know there's going to be a drop. I just don't know when it's coming. It just doesn't get Ben Campmeyer excited, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not the feeling I want. And so eventually, of course, you know, one of the things this, this group playing the giant Jenga game found is this thing was built well. So they went on for like 45 minutes, and, you know, I'm just sitting on the edge of my chair. And then finally somebody gets bored, and what do you do when you want to nuke the Jenga game? <laughs> You go for a low block, right? And somebody pulled the thing out. It crashed down, startled me, startled everybody. There was like 10 patrons had to be loaded into the ambulance and brought to the local hospital so they could be treated for heart attack. Okay, the last part I made up. But you get the idea, right? See, that for us, friends, is a metaphor to the entire thing I want to talk about today. Please do not leave church and say, man, all I learned was that City Harbor guy just doesn't like Jenga. Like, don't leave and say that. It's a metaphor for us because here's what I learned. The physics of Jenga are multiplied exponentially whenever you play with bigger blocks. And what I want to talk about today is an even bigger set of blocks an even higher set of stakes, a structure that is not built by human hands, but a living organism. It's this thing that if, if we follow Jesus, we would say it's a part of our identity that we're a part of the church. It's the church. Today, I want to talk about the low blocks 
of the church, the foundation of the church. What is the thing on which the whole structure rests? And so I had you turn to Ephesians 2, if you can head there now. Paul the Apostle is a pastor, and he's writing to his church at Ephesus. He's not able to be with them, and so he's encouraging them. And up until this point, he's been giving a a vision for being the new kind of created people in Christ. Like, Jesus is meant to change your life. That's what he's saying. And he's speaking to their identity as the church. And this is what he says to them. Notice the metaphor he uses. He says, so then, church, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God that is built upon the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. You've heard the phrase, I'm sure, that a building is only as strong as its foundation. What is the foundation of the church? I I think that's a, a worthy thing worth asking. And I would say, when it comes to the low blocks of the structure, that is the people of God. Everything that Paul gives us in that particular text, none of them, none of them would I want to be pulled away from the identity of the people of God, the church. These are the things on which the whole thing rests. And so I believe, even though there are a lot of opinions about the identity of the church, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like in our society right now, everybody wants to slap a label on what the church is, and uh, some of them are less helpful than others, and people sort of seek to commandeer it for their own purpose, I would say there is really no opinion about the foundation, right? the basic essence of the thing on which it rests. We have scriptures like the one that we just read that give us clarity. According to Paul, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It is actually a spectacular statement that Paul's making there. And so let's unpack that a little bit. There are words that we read when we read the Bible, words that we use that uh, maybe we throw them around, and it's worth to stop and define. So you may have heard the word apostle before. What is, what is an apostle? What, what does Paul mean when he talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles? The, the word apostle is a word in our language that comes from a very similar-sounding Greek word that essentially means a sent one. So whenever you see apostle, if you're reading in the New Testament, I want you to think a sent one, or the apostles are the sent ones. There are several in the New Testament that get that title, right? Maybe names you've heard before, Peter and uh, James and John, the original disciples, Jesus sent on mission. Paul himself, who's writing this, has this incredible life-transforming event where he encounters Jesus as somebody who's actually persecuting the church. So there's a vision of the risen Lord on the Damascus Road, and Jesus essentially says, uh, Paul, I want you to change your life, turn it around, and go serve me. And that's why we get what we get to read today. He's an apostle. He's been sent by Jesus, the sent one, someone who's meant to go and tell the world about him. That's what an apostle is. 
An apostle is one who carries the message, this, this good news about God's mission, that through the person of Jesus, he's come to reconcile people through the broken relationship that he has with them through Jesus. That, that's simply, that's the good news that we bear. If you're here today and maybe you're checking things out, maybe somebody invited you, uh, we would say that our greatest hope is in this good news that God has mended that relationship through Jesus. And we actually, we don't have to be afraid because of the things we're just singing, right? Jesus is better. His presence is better. He casts out the, the dark of our lives. We have this great hope in this radically life-transforming reality that we are a new people because of the thing that Jesus has done. And apostles carried that message. This was a special group of people who'd been with Jesus, and they could testify to what it's really like to have your life changed by him. And they went and they told others. And so here's what makes what Paul was saying in Ephesians 2 so radical. Like, what does this have to do with us? I'm, I'm going to tell you. He makes the point using the metaphor of a structure, just like I use the metaphor of a giant Jenga tower. He's talking about a household, right? This, this building that, that holds up a whole bunch of people that has been built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, and Christ Jesus himself. And I think what's so helpful to realize is this foundation is not just the guys themselves. We might look at that as a historical statement. Like the early church started with a few of these apostles who carried this message and it grew from there. Here's what Paul is saying, really. He's saying it is their lifestyle, the apostolic lifestyle on which the structure rests. And we can know that because Paul is very quick to point out something else about the foundation. He says it has a cornerstone. See, I'm not an architect, but I know that buildings today are built very differently from the way that buildings were built thousands of, of years ago. So if you walked into the building today, I think we have one. Uh, most old buildings still do. There's something called a cornerstone, and it will say, you know, like, so-and-so church established 18-whatever, or, you know, this church, you know, established 2010. Uh, it's a decorative material. It's a form thing. Back in the day, cornerstones were about function, <laughs> In fact, there were these massive stones, so heavy and so huge, where a lot of buildings are completely gone to this day. They're thousands of years old. You can still find the, the cornerstone. It's just a solid slab of rock. It's a really big Jenga block. I mean, the biggest you can imagine. And so they would set these stones as the first stone of the building. And it not only sort of served as the beginning, but it actually served as the thing that would set the building on a right angle. Because a wonky-shaped building usually doesn't stand very well, right? And so you put the cornerstone in, and it gives us the angle, and that is the thing on which the whole rest of the building can be square. And so Paul is saying Jesus is the cornerstone of this foundation. It is the angle of his life that sets the angle for these apostles and prophets who are the foundation that we, thousands of years ago, South Harbor, are built upon as the household of God. And I would argue specifically, though there's a lot of things that are sort of baked in Christ's own example, the template of his life as the blueprint for us, I would say absolutely the apostle nature of Jesus has something to do with it. See, now we're getting into the heart of what makes the church the church. 42 times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is described with the adjective sent. Like Jesus is apostled, 
sent by God 42 times that description comes up. Jesus, in some of his last words to the disciples in John 20, they're meeting in the upper room together. He's come back from the dead. And right before he's to return to his father, he says these words to the disciples. And I would say to the rest of the church, he says, as the father has sent me, there's that Greek word from apostle again, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. This is core to the identity of the church. His life, a template, a blueprint, everything that he did, right? Taking on human flesh, entering into the neighborhood, becoming weak like us, living like us, tempted like us. All of this toward the end, his triumph for us towards serving the mission of God to save sinners, people like you and me, and reconcile us to him. All of that for this thing that Jesus is sent. So bringing it all together, I just want to give you a thesis this morning. What is the foundation of the church? What is the thing that it stands on? At its core, the church, you and me, if, if this is your church, right? If, if you're saying, I'm a part of this community, and you know what? If you're thinking about being a part of it, realize this is it too. You and I, friends, we are meant to be a community that is apostolic. Said another way, Jesus' church is a sent church. Any other mission is not his mission because it's the life that he models for us. Jesus' church is a sent church. The fundamental nature of the church, the people of God, I'm not talking about this physical building, I'm not talking about this particular gathering, I'm talking about the identity of everyone who calls on the name of Christ is to be sent like the apostles Peter, Paul, John, all these guys, and like Jesus himself. It's the call on every Christian's life. And it's the thing that unites and binds us together to go about all of the context that he's called us to and to proclaim to all people that God has repaired the broken relationship with humanity and made a new way through the person of Jesus that life doesn't have to be the way that it was because there's a new life to be lived in the person of Christ. We get that particular joy and that particular mission. See, at Harbor Churches, we've articulated it this way. And if you've been around, you can say it with me. We say Harbor Churches exist to help people find their way back to God. I think it's written on the walls. And we didn't just put it on there for, for no reason. And I think it's also important to articulate that when we say that, when we say, you know, as you heard already this morning, we say we exist to help people find their way back to God, that's not just a, a job only for the person standing on the stage while the rest of us spectate. That's the thing that we share in common. So South Harbor and City Harbor, though, though we, we go about it in different ways because of different contexts, that's the thing that binds us together, the mission we have, the call to be a sent church, helping people find their way back to God. This mission is for everyone because Jesus' church is fundamentally a sent church. And part of the reason this matters to me so much is because of something I said earlier, which is there are a lot of things that people say the church is meant for that it's really not meant for, at least not in the primary thing. I, I would say one of the litmus tests for true church, the people of God, is this thing that we're talking about. You know, hundreds of years later, about two and a half centuries after Paul wrote these words, there was a gathering of early church leaders as the thing continued to sort of radically grow through the first, second, and into the third century. And they had this thing called the Council of Nicaea. In the year 325, all these 
bishops and pastors, east, west, right? They all got together in one place and they decided to hammer out what are, what are some basic statements of faith that we can all agree on together. Similar to the Apostles' Creed, they came up with what's called uh, the Nicene Creed. You can Google it later, I'd encourage you to. And they used that to be able to speak about some very specific things related to the person of Jesus. And then they drew this conclusion. They said, from the person of Jesus, we also understand something we believe about the church. And there's this beautiful line in the Nicene Creed that says, we believe in four things. One, holy, Catholic, meaning sort of general, universal, and apostolic church. Realize that for centuries, those that have followed Jesus have imagined that the church's identity at its core would be apostolic, would be sent. It's the way I, I think Christopher Wright puts it is one of the best ways possible. And it's a little bit of a reorientation for our thinking. He says it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. I think what I'd like to do more than anything this morning with you, friends, is just draw attention to something that I think is both problem and opportunity for us, the church, and the local church here at South Harbor, all of our churches, Harbor churches, problem and opportunity. Because I think it's important just to, to be candid that when it comes to the foundational nature of the church, its sentness, if you will, there is, I think often, it's not true across the board, but often, at least the perceptions of people that I talk to, for example, when we're doing our work in the city, that there is a big gap between what the Bible says about the people of God and the reality of how it's lived out. And I think you'll agree with me. Let's just name it. Like, for Christians in our context, there is an element of which everything that I've been saying for the last several minutes or so, this is like a radical idea. Like, you want me to live apostolically. That's exactly what I'm saying. To, to live sent is to be a part of the church. In, in some ways, that's radical. In theory, we read it in the scriptures, but in practice, really what happens is sometimes God's mission gets relegated to sort of a compartmental place in the life of the church. And I'm not saying that any of these things are bad, but that's why we have things like a, a missions department you'll see at church. Like it's like a, a sub-factor for special people where we go, that's only for crazy people. I don't do that, okay? I, I do some other things. And what I want us to see is this whole thing is for all of us. And that mindset, you know, uh, Pastor Rob alluded to it earlier, like there is definitely a decline with church engagement, church interest, religious interests in our society. And rather than looking out and pointing a finger and saying the problem is the world, I would love to look in and say with the psalmist, like, Lord, search us and know us. See if there's any wayward way within us. What is the church doing in this whole thing? See, anecdotally, I've noticed this for years and wrestled with it myself, that we want to take the mission of God and sort of separate ourselves from it. Because let's be honest, that's scary, and a lot of our relationships hang on this thing that's important. So it's easier to keep things more private, more personal, more hidden, to only bring it up when really necessary. And yet it seems like God has envisioned something completely different for the construction of the church. And so not just to share anecdotes from my own life, this is actually proven research. So let's put this uh, on the screen. This year, 
one of our mission partners at, at Harbor Church is actually called Mission India. I don't know if you've heard of Mission India. They're located here in the Grand Rapids area. They want to reach India, which is one of the most unreached city, uh, the most unreached countries in the world. They did some work with Barna, which is a Christian research organization, and they just interviewed a bunch of American Christians, their questions about the mission of God. And this graph in particular, I, I think is very, uh, it's just profound. It says a lot of what we're talking about already. And I don't know if you can see all the way in the back, but if you look at that, those middle bars right there, they made these statements about the mission. And they asked people, what was their level of agreement with them? And there's an interesting gap. The, the long blue bar at the bottom there is pastors. 85% of them would say mission is a mandate for every single Christian. Pretty much everything I've been saying for these last few minutes with us here. Pastors would say 85% of them. That's a huge, strong agreement. While the second, that sort of like teal bar in the middle, 42% would agree with that statement across the entirety of the church. So we're talking about a huge gap between what pastors believe and then just the rest of people who go to church believe. There's another statement up there. There's several that believe mission is a calling for some Christian. But there's a big difference in language between a calling for some and a mandate for all, isn't there? So a couple things about this. Just let me make a couple observations. First of all, my goal is not to pit pastors against the rest of the church. That wouldn't be helpful in my case at all. Uh, pastors are not always right. You can ask my wife. She has lots of experience in knowing a pastor who's not always right. Second of all, if this research accurately re reflects this room, that means I came in this morning spending the last 20 minutes knowing that half of you think I'm nuts and I'm okay with that. I, I like a good challenge. And so also, for context, I think language is important. So you may be wondering, well, what, what did they mean by missions? And so it's helpful. You can get the study, by the way, if you go to Mission India's website. I encourage you to, to read it. It's a great study. Uh, they, they asked everybody, well, what do you mean when you hear mission? The number one most agreed upon definition for missions was people saying missions is sharing about others with Jesus. I love that. Really simple, broad definition. I would understand this chart completely if everybody said missions is pack your duffel and move to a remote part of the world and live there indefinitely. And so I just want to be really clear this morning. What we're talking about is I'm not saying that pack your bag mission is for all. I think that's a particular call, just like, you know, the call on the life of a pastor is particular, just like the call into your vocation is particular. But what we are saying most definitely is missions in the broadest sense, sharing about Jesus with others, I believe that is a universal call. That Jesus' church is fundamentally a sent church. And mission is for everyone. The, the biggest concern for me in this, that I just wanted to share this with you this morning, is the language around the difference between a calling for some and a mandate for all. Now, don't answer this out loud because it'll kill my ego, but just honestly reflect. After everything we've been talking about for the last couple of minutes, what we've seen in the, in the scriptures for the last couple of minutes, which do you think it is? Which do you think, it, is, it a, is this something that is optional, secondary, or something that is, is mandatory? I, I believe it's mandatory. Jesus has a sent church, and God's mission is for everybody. 
And I think it's just worth grappling together. What is the disconnect between what the Bible says about the people of God and then the reality? And that's where I think something that is a problem becomes opportunity, friends. And I'll tell you, I'm more optimistic than anything. And I'm also really glad because the beauty of having guest preachers, and when I uh, was, was pastoring a, a local church in this community, one, one of the things that I used to love is that when guest preachers would come, they would leave the next week. And so if I say something that's controversial, you don't ever have to have me back. You'd be like, Tim, stop passing out blank checks to, to pastors, right? Like, I, I do want to press into this a little bit for us, and I could not have better imagined our morning. I, I had no idea until earlier uh, this morning that, or until yesterday that, that Daniel and his family were gonna be here, that he was gonna share. And he said something so profound, and I hope you caught it. Not only do not wait until the church buildings close to invite people, but he said, invest in those relationships. So I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna push that a little bit, if that's okay. Not only that, I, I would say, please do not hear when pastors or leaders stand on stages and say, invite your friends to church, which I think is an exceptionally good thing to do. And by the way, if your friend invited you to church, I'm so glad you're here today to hear this because you can elbow them in the shoulder and call them account to this thing. Okay, when we say that, what I worry sometimes, and this isn't, the study doesn't conclude this, this is just my own personal wondering, okay? So you can test whether or not this is, this is true. I wonder if sometimes when we say invite your friends to church, we inadvertently are saying to all of us that only those that are qualified to stand on the stage, though, can share Jesus. So bring your friends. That's an amazing thing, but I would say do what Daniel said. Invest in the relationship. You share Jesus with them. See, in some ways, I don't know if you realize this or not, in the culture that we're in, you have way more credibility with the people that you live, work, and play among than I ever will. They're just like, again, weird bearded dude from the city. Cool, got it, right? But you, you live in their life and you know what they're dealing with and you are in so many ways qualified, friends. Even when you don't feel qualified, you are qualified. There's this verse, and, and it's not going to come up on the screen because I want you to write it down. If you're really grappling with these things, 1 Peter 3.15, another apostle writing to the church, says something so simple and it's so genius. And you get the heart of the early church's evangelistic fervor in this. He says, always have an answer for the hope that lies in you. This is just like pastoral advice. Always have an answer for the hope that lies in you. If you reverse that engineer that thing, flip it on its head, you know what that means? You've got to live a questionable life where your life is so entangled in the fabric of other people's lives that they would say, dude, what is your deal? I don't know if you've looked around lately. It feels like the world is burning you're different. Your marriage is different. Your family is different. Your finances are different. What's happening? Friends, that is the call in the church. You know, it's interesting if you think about it. In the early church, they were meeting in house churches. And until really around the time the Nicene Creed was made, it, it was not a popular thing to be a Christian publicly. 
The church was persecuted. And so oddly enough, the early church had a completely flipped dynamic from what we do. They never said invite your friends to church because if you invited the wrong guy or the wrong gal and they went and they told the powers that be, hey, these Christians are over here meeting, you probably ended up with your head on a stake at the end of that process. And so Peter writes to the early church and says, live a life in such a way that people, they just have to know. And it was in that life on life, that up-close apostolic scent living. I'm not talking about perfect living, far from that, but people who apologize when they do dumb things like, you know, mow over the lawn line or whatever people were fighting about, that version of that in the first century. To live in that way, and then they'll ask you. And, you know, the church grew radically because it believed it was sent and it lived in that way. And then people entered into the community. Yes, bring your friends, even more so, friends, Live it where you are, where you live, where you work, where you play, because Jesus' church is fundamentally a sent church, and God's mission is for everybody. You are then members of the household of God, Paul says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in which the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's that simple. That, that's just the reality we're called to live in. Now, let's be honest together for a minute. Because if I stopped there, uh, there, I would make the mistake of probably creating the same chart we saw from Barna and Mission India a moment ago. Because again, you may be thinking, and I don't understand why, like, but Ben's weird, which you'd be fair. And these church planner guys get up and they eat apostolic Wheaties for breakfast every day, right? Like they're just, it's just a different model, okay? I don't know if that's for me, but that's for them. And so here's, I just wanna say to you as honestly as I can, having been given the, the opportunity in the, in the platform this morning, when I say those very words, mission is for everyone, and I'm including myself in it, it scares me. See, I too get sweaty palms when I'm sitting with my dear friends and they say, yeah, what about that, Ben? You're a church guy. Like, I totally get that. In fact, if I can be even more honest with you, one, one of the things that starts with the story that I told you in the beginning is I noticed over time a huge gap in my own life between the things that I would stand on stages and say and my own practice of doing those very things. When, when I would call people to walk across the street to the neighbor, was I making time to do that as well? And one of the most profound and transformative things in our family's life over the last two years has just been the ability to throw up our hands and say, you know what, we're just gonna go all in. We, we sold our house, we moved to Grand Rapids, we live in the city, we build friends, we make mistakes, we make cultural faux pas, we embarrass ourselves, but it's been one of the most beautiful things that God has done in our lives. And I just want to tell you more than anything, friends, it's scary, it's also an incredible joy when you live it. And some of you know, there's nothing quite like getting to love a person sitting across the table from you after having spent maybe a long time building a relationship where it never comes up. And just for them to ask you, like, what is your deal? And they get to share out of love for them. It's a joy because when we do the things that Christ did, we're closer to him. He says, you're my friends if you do what I ask of you. I, I think more than anything, this is something that Jesus has asked of us, the church. And beyond all of that, what I want to say to you is if you're like, wow, this is really big, I get it. And also, you can do it. Maybe that 
needs to be said from more pulpits and more platforms than anything. You can do it. You actually can. And it's beautiful and it's messy and it's a wonderful thing. You know, at City Harbor, so our community, we do things a little bit differently. We meet as a, essentially a network of microchurches right now all across the city. We have multiple gatherings and we meet in homes. We place a high emphasis on high relationship because we've just found our friends in the city, they just love to connect at that level and not so much, you know, a, a large building, though we do gather to do that from time to time. But, but one of the things that comes with that is it's really, to, to give credit to the people that have gone on this journey with us, they're a little bit crazy too. <laughs> so it really puts the onus on them to be in those settings. And they've been living it. So one of the values we talk about at City Harbor that I know is a value here as well is that we talk about just taking one step outside of the comfort zone to follow Jesus. It's not a huge leap. It's just one step. And, and people will verbalize, like, what that is for them may be different than for the other person. It might be, hey, I just had a conversation this week, or I tried to make myself available, or I chose to pray. But just taking one step. And that's what I want to invite us to this morning. If you follow Jesus, take one step outside of the comfort zone. I'll give you a couple practical steps. And if you've been listening all morning, the Spirit's been giving them to us in, in a bunch of different ways. And so let me just give you a couple. Maybe you want to write one down and live into it. This is something you can do this week to be a part of the sent church and realize that mission is for you. The first thing, friends, is start with prayer. Maybe the, the greatest flaw in like, why, why is this thing not moving? is because we don't pray. So you have a routine, you have a rhythm, maybe you drive or walk through your neighborhood, maybe you bike through your neighborhood, whatever it is, just start praying. Start praying for smiley lawnmower guy, start praying for uh, garage band, you know, teenagers, start praying for all of those things, right? Uh, pray for all of these people, and just ask the Lord to show you, like, what is going on in this person's life? No good missionary movement came about without the beginning of prayer. Just start praying. It's the easiest thing to do for the people where you live, where you work, where you play. Water cooler guy, right? All, all those folks. And then here's, here's an easy step. And I think Backyard VBS is actually a really great way to do this, by the way, just to plug it again. Learn your neighbor's names. So I told you my story, right? Like I, I've had to kind of adjust up into living some of this. And we're not doing it perfectly, but we're at least trying now. And so I've had the situation where I've walked across the road and said, yeah, okay, so I've lived here for two years. We wave at each other across the way when we're mowing our lawns. I'm really sorry. I've never asked you your name. Can I get your name? You know how endearing that is for people? They love that, right? If somebody said that to you, you'd be like, oh, man, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad to finally meet you. Strike up a conversation. Just, just make a grid, a nine-box grid, three, three, and three, of all the houses around you and see how many names do you know? And if not, you could pray for those names, and if you don't know them, learn them. Uh, you could throw a party. We don't have time to talk about this today, but if you want to be counterculture, I'm talking punk rock, move your grill to the front yard just for one night. Not the backyard where all the stuff is, where it's all quiet, just to the front yard. You know what a free hot dog does to somebody walking by? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> See what happens, right? Just watch the Lord. Uh, Rob mentioned Bless Labs. When that happens, I would wildly encourage you to go. It's a really simple acronym that pretty much encapsulates everything that I'm talking about. Begin with prayer. Listen, right? Listen to what's going around you. 
eat, my favorite part of evangelism, serve and be ready to share your story. And, and you know, I think there's probably been sermons on that and other things you can find in the archives on the South Harbor website as well. Again, it's just a step. Just move the needle one step this week. Take a simple step outside of the comfort zone. Friends, Jesus has a sent church and his mission is for everyone. I wanna invite you on it with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your mission to us. That you, uh, Lord, you left the beauty of heaven and uh, 24-7 worship to come and join us and live our very real broken reality here in our lives where you are able to empathize with everything that we've been through. And because of that, God, we can call on your name to be saved. And so I pray, first of all, for anyone in this room or listening or watching online, Lord, if, if they're like not sure that that's actually the case, would you reveal yourself to them right now in this moment as they listen and watch? And Lord, also I uh, would just pray for those of us that hear this and they go, you know what, I, I really do wanna live that. I pray that it will be received not as a guilt trip or shaming, but Lord, as an invitation into something really exciting, an opportunity to be more like you, Jesus. You've been so good to us, Lord. And, and really, God, I, I pray that you would move through this community, this body, South Harbor here in uh, Byron Center and Wyoming and the surrounding area here, Metro Grand Rapids, or that we would be truly an apostolic community sent with the best news ever. Lord, I pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit to collectively take one step. And we know it's possible because we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.